Ronananian. I think about building a mechanic. Can you build a mechanic the way you build a car? Go on, ring. It's a thought that goes through my mind all the time because I keep thinking about who's going to fix the cars of tomorrow. Never mind the technology, just who's going to physically and mentally be up to the challenge. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ron and Indy and the Car Doctor. We get to spend another hour together, and I thank you for doing that and taking time out of your day to allow me to do that with you. Phone number here, as always, is 855-560-9900. Call in now and get a conference. We can conference together and talk together about your automotive problem, whatever it might be. And keep in mind, more information about this show is always cardoctorshow.com. Tune in, iHeart, iTunes.com, all places to take podcasts and find out more information, as well as at the uh, cardoctorshow.com. You can download podcasts right from there as well. And uh, keep in mind, if you need me during the week, Ron at cardoctorshow.com. I've gotten a couple of emails from me in the past week that... um, well, um, it's interesting to see what's going on out there, and uh, that's probably one of the main reasons I've enjoyed doing this show for the past 25 years, just to see what's really going on out in the world. It's always a little different from your perspective, from your side of the counter. Do you like eating in a good restaurant? Do you? You ever eat in a good restaurant? You ever go to a good steakhouse? Tony, you ever go to a good steakhouse? And, and you know... Yes, I have. And, the, the one that you took me and, and Tom to um, earlier this year. Yeah. At Hands was yeah, it? Yeah, it was Hands, Calhoun, something yeah, like that. Yeah, one of them. And did you ever, it was a good meal, right? Yes, it was. And you say to yourself, can I duplicate this at home, right? Like, you enjoyed that? Uh, I'm not an Emerald Lagasse, so I, I, I know my limits. Right. But if you were going to duplicate that at home, you would really have to... Have the same. I have that. Have that chef that cooked that steak for me that at, night. At least, or at least you'd have to have that steak, that that yes. caliber of meat. And that's. I was thinking about this this week. That you know, perhaps that's what auto repair is. You know, you sort of need that caliber of of grocery, of meat, of of food that's prepared for you at that good restaurant. And I'm thinking that what holds back regular repairs from becoming good ones is the parts being used. But a lot of it isn't the fault of the shop. It is if the shop is choosing to use a poor quality or a white box part or, you know, something of of questionable substance. But a lot of it has to do with the marketplace. And we've been talking of late. As a matter of fact, somewhere in my pile of papers, I've got an email that I want to talk about uh, this week, uh, oh, from Rick in La Crosse, Wisconsin, we're talking about parts, and I'm going to sort of address that a little bit this hour, but I also want to talk partly about, uh, you know, from my perspective, what I'm seeing. 2005 Ford F-250 diesel, a eight-foot bed cab over, uh, you know, extended cab came into the shop, and it needed a few things. It needed a gas tank or a fuel tank. I should say fuel tank diesel, pardon me. A fuel tank float sender replaced because the it had a fault code for the level sensor, and um, uh, there was an issue with the float assembly in the tank, and it needed to be replaced. 
that part, which is just it's a it's a metal plate with a tube, a suction cup, and a a regular fuel level sender, four hundred and fifty, almost five hundred dollars, as as the OE level Ford part. You start looking around at the aftermarket pieces, and you can get them, but for the money you're going to save. You have to question, you know, how long will it last? What's the reliability? Will it work in this application? Because in order to do that float, you're doing it one of two ways. You're either pulling the tank off, pulling the tank down, or you're lifting the bed up. In the case of this F-250, and this is a common problem on these, the bed rails rust out, and they require replacement. And it's it's really fast becoming an issue in that the the – aftermarket you seeing you know you guys want to know what i'm thinking so the aftermarket has come out with a kit that you can do a bed repair on an f-250 pickup truck so your choices are to do this you're going to i i think you're going to use the best quality float you can get and for my money right now it's going to be that ford piece for 500 bucks but then you've got to either lift the bed off and put a new bed on because it's so badly rotted and rusted or you're going to do a bed repair kit the bed repair kit's about four hundred bucks plus labor. A bed is five grand to put a new bed on from Ford. You start pricing things out and all that's involved in that. So what are you going to do? You're going to try and do the bed repair kit, right? I mean that kind of makes sense. But here's where the aftermarket misses the mark. There's five rails underneath the underneath the bed. the The kit only has four. So when we called them up and spoke to them, we said, you know, so you know, here's this kit you're advertising as. You know, bolts on, complete kit, does everything we're supposed to. There's only four rails here. How come? And the answer we got was because the fifth rail, the one that runs widthwise across the front of the bed, is physically part of the body, and it can't be detached, and it can't be covered over, and it can't be repaired. I don't understand. You know, one hand you're telling me this is the perfect piece, and this is, you know, this is going to work, and on the other hand, you're telling me that what you're giving me is an incomplete kit, and I'm going to have to go out and buy five more pieces anyway. And that's just typical of what we run into, and that's my point. I want to go back to the 2007 Dodge van. We talked about that last week, and that's what generated Rick's email. Um, he was asking me about price of parts and when to use what parts from where. In the case of this Dodge van... It was $1,100 for two rear shocks as they were a low-level shock. They were a much heavier shock. And the question became, do I use those? Do I use aftermarket? Didn't find anything in the aftermarket that really gave me warm fuzzies. And the fact is, when you're $100 apart, a piece different from the OE part to the aftermarket part, I think you kind of go with the OE piece. I don't think saving $100 justifies the possibility of having to go through this all over again, not to mention it's a handicapped vehicle. And trying to get it, trying to get it um, uh, in for repair becomes difficult. Which, by the way, you know, just just talking repairs like we are right here now, you and I. So I finished the shocks on the on the Dodge Caravan, and I did the inspection. I was on the other side of the shop, and you hear it was like one of those movies. It was it was like a Three Stooges movie. You hear. The valve stem blew out of the tire, shot across the shop, and the car got a flat sitting there. Y you can't make it up. Now, it's an aluminum TPMS sensor because it's a 2007, 
and there was just corrosion, and it must have clipped the end of the stem just enough that it weakened it, and eventually it just blew the stem right out. Which made certainly. Me, certainly, which made me ask the question, thanks, Tom, which made me ask the question, what happens if the, the, the owner who's driving these handicaps, you know, you know, what happens to him? How does he change a flat tire on the side of the road, and he can't? So, you know, thank gosh it, 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 it failed in the shop. My point is that picking parts today is not easy. And I, as a shop owner and I, as a technician, always weigh location, how easy, how easy is it to replace, accessibility, the price of part, how it's being used, the age of the vehicle, the environment it's working in. It's not as simple as just walking up and buying everything off the counter from an OE or from an independent parts source. A lot of consideration has to be put into that looking at overall cost. Yeah, because to a large degree, and you know, Rick's questions and comments were, he doesn't want to be trapped having to use OE parts because of the expense. You're right. But part of the problem, too, is like eating in that good restaurant, you can only continue to produce a good steak dinner as long as you have good steak available. And the way things are going with more and more manufacturing disappearing, if there's any here left at all, with more and more parts in general as these vehicles get older disappearing. You wonder when the next cow is going to become extinct. You wonder when the next pile of parts is not going to be available. And I often think to myself, I wonder if just being able to know where to source parts from and whose parts to use in what application is going to be a required skill going forward of all mechanics and something that's going to make this industry really stand up and take notice as to who's got the buying decisions. And we'll see where that goes. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anany in the car doctor. We are giving away a Wix diecast car this hour. I know Tom and Tony have been eyeing it up. It is a 39 Ford 118 scale hot rod. It is a period correct piece. We've done this before. And um, yes, Tom has uh, his, his, yeah, okay. And um, we're going to be giving that away this hour uh, to a lucky winner. So you want to stay tuned for that. Told you. I told you he was he wasn't gonna let us have that. Car. I know, man. He's stingy, man. I, I, yeah. Come on, man. Jeez. Listen, guys, we have to give that away. It's it's for the listeners, it's not for you two. So is that okay? All we get is a free lunch from you every Saturday. That's, That's what it. You're saying? And and you get to see me. Oh, oh god. Just I remember think we, I think we should leave. Just remember in our relationship, your positive is at least you have me. And we'll leave it there. I have a headache. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Indian Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Keep in mind that number is 24-7. You can uh, give us a call, leave a message. If we're not here on the air, we're live Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, leave a message at 855-560-9900, and we'll call you back and uh, put you in the lineup and talk to you about your car problem and help solve it for you, because that's what we do. That's what we've done here on the Car Doctor for the past 25-plus years. Let's go over and talk to Carlton in Virginia, 8990 Buick Park Ave. Some questions on tranny fluid. And synthetic. Carlton, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? 
Uh, you sound real good today, uh, Ron. I, I just acquired a, another 89 Buick Park Avenue, and uh, I've been using what the uh, car manufacturers recommended. And uh, since I'm older and wiser now, I thought I'd get your advice since you turned me on to a number of other things. I thought you're the expert I need to talk to. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, what are you looking for information on what trans fluid to put in that? Uh, yes. Um, what what years are they, Carlton? You've got an 89, a 90, anything newer, anything older? I got the, a 99, and uh, I've got about 10 friends of mine that, uh, you know, they got 89s up to uh, 2002. Okay. I'm a- so uh, it- I, 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 I just got this one, and it's 79,000 miles on it, and, and I, I got to do the motor mount, so I want to know about the uh, transmission fluid so I can go ahead and, and, you know, keep that going. I'm as fussy as on transmission fluid as I am on engine oil, Carlton. You know, in the, in, in the sense that, yeah, you know what? Oils are created the same to a degree. Trans fluids are created the same to a degree. But in both of them, in my mind, you're still buying the engineering that the company puts into them. And, right. you know, when you look at tranny fluids today, you know, we were just talking about this in the shop the other day. We still we still hand mix our green coolant, which is conventional coolant for cars that you know conventional green coolant cars probably haven't been manufactured for ten years now. We still hand mix it, but we're talking about we're not going to mix it anymore because we're just going to keep it on hand. We're not going to keep it in a big drum because you know, Toyota specific, uh, Honda specific, Ford specific. G- everybody's got a specific coolant. Everybody's right. got everybody's got a specific trans fluid too, and uh-huh. there there is a large degree of specificity. Is that a word? Specifics, right? Um, uh-huh. To to transmission fluid, they want certain things in there to a certain level to an exacting standard. I often think uh-huh. that we don't give the automatic transmission enough due. We don't take care of it enough. We, we're all so hyped up about changing our engine oil every 3,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 miles or whatever we want to do. Nobody really talks about changing transmission fluid. A, a lot of times right. when, I, when I tell people it's time to change your transmission fluid, I've actually had people say, change it into what? So, you know, it just goes to show you the lack of respect that an automatic trans gets. We can make an engine go 300,000 miles. It, it's to be expected right. that an automatic trans... A buck and a half, two hundred thousand is probably the end of its limit, and I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is due to the fact that we don't change it, and or when we do change it, we don't use the right or a good quality fluid. That being uh-huh. that being said, your car originally came with Dex three, right? You know, General Motors it was a standard; it was a non synthetic fluid, uh, and right. it, it worked for the longest time. General Motors has now gone to a uh, the next level of DEX, which I, I believe is synthetic, and it is a it is a better grade of fluid. All right. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. you know nothing wrong there. One of the uh-huh. things one of the things to, to switch it up for a minute. One of the things I like about Pennzoil is as an oil company, they also have a line uh-huh. of transmission fluids. And mm-hmm. to my point about engineering and specifics, if transfluid didn't have to be that specific and accurate in the way it's com- composed, 
then I don't think a company like Pennzoil would get together and you know make an exact trans fluid for your vehicle and the other guy and the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. Right. So you know, and obviously you know you can read more at Pennzoil's website, Pennzoil dot com, and uh, get down to the transmission fluid section. I, I think uh-huh. I think what I would be thinking about is you have an old school trans. You know, I would be I would I would have no fear of putting a better grade of trans fluid in it, the synthetic, changing the fluid every thirty thousand miles, depending on how you use it, changing the filter. Right. Um, if you right. can if you can find a shop that's got a fluid exchange machine, absolutely positively. You know, uh-huh. doing a fluid exchange. And I think you'll get a lot of life out of that trans. Do you remember yeah, I, I, I don't know I don't know how long you've been a listener to the show. Do you or does anybody remember me talking about my friend Carpenter Bob? I always call him with his nineteen eighty four yeah. Ford E three. Yeah. Remember that, right? Do you right, know right. do you know we did fluid exchanges on that transmission starting around the 200,000 mile mark. No, the 180 mark. And uh-huh. that trans held together for four, till 488,000 miles. We started doing trans fluid exchange. He got almost a half a million <laughs> miles out of that transmission. Uh, yeah. Before he finally had he finally had to take the vehicle off the road when I walked up to it one day and I said, "What's this rust blister over the right wheel well?" And I was able to take the fender and peel it out and hold it. I said, "Bob, I think it's time to take the truck off the road. I think it's done." <laughs> and 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 that was probably seven years ago. So uh-huh. th- there's something to be said for doing trans fluid changes with a good quality fluid, and doing a fluid exchange versus just changing what's in the pan because you only get out, you know, four or five quarts versus you know ten to twelve, fourteen, uh, you know, right. whatever, whatever the vehicle's got. So right. does that answer it for you? Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that because I've been using uh, pens all, uh, you know, all my life. And I, I was born in 1939, so you do the math. Yeah. And, uh, it, uh, you know, it, it's it's just a better oil, and I've yeah. never had any trouble, and I've rebuilt, uh, you know, three engines. Right. And, and uh, the, you know, you uh, you uh, you get the good oil, and, uh, you know, you get the good service. Right, that's right. And you know what? You hit the nail on the head. If they're making a good oil, they're making a good trans fluid. Get out to pensoil.com. Hey, Carl, I'll tell you what. Stay on the line, babe. Tom gave me the thumbs up. You, sir, are getting the Wix 75th anniversary 118 scale 39 Ford hot rod. We're going to send that down your way. Stay on the line so Tom can get your information. And we appreciate you being part of the Car Doctor Nation. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Indian Car Doctor, rolling along at 855-560-9900. Happy to be here with you this afternoon as we uh, kind of cruise on out into the automotive world. More information about us at cardoctorshow.com. And keep in mind, 855-560-9900, 24-7. Call, leave a message. We'll call you back and get you in the lineup of the following show and solve your automotive problem. And as always, podcast at TuneIn, iHeart, and iTunes.com. Let's get back to the busy phones. Let's go over and talk to Carl, Andover, New Jersey, with a 2010 Mercury Mariner and some questions on belts. Carl, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, a uh, long-time listener, me and my dad. Uh, great show. Thank you, sir. Um, I have a 2010 Mercury Mariner 3.0 liter V6. Okay. And uh, 103,000 miles, and I was curious of when I should replace the belts. The manual shows the routing of the belts, but it doesn't tell you, uh, makes a mention of when they should be replaced. You know, it's it's six years old, Carl, and it's got yeah. 100,000 miles on it. 
belts today last a long time. And chances are you could probably squeeze a little bit more out of that belt. You know, it was probably the better part of 15 years ago. They stopped producing uh, what we call a chloroprene belt, and they went to an EPDM. EPDM, um, it's a little bit of a tongue twister. It stands for ethylene propylene dean monomer belts. And, And basically, the way they explain it to us, and we always explain it to people at the counter is, if you look at a belt that's got those grooves in it, well, in the old days, we looked at a belt to see if it was cracking. On the EPDM belt, we're looking at them to see what is their wear, because they wear just like a tire, like the tread on a tire goes down. And they've actually right. provided us with gauges where we can sit there and, uh, you know, put this pointed gauge into the tread and look to see, do we see air underneath the points? If so, then, you know, a gap, then that means that the belt is worn and it needs to be replaced. But the thing I always yep. think about at, at 103,000 miles, or whatever you've got on this, is right. how, how are the rest of the pulleys? Well, that was another question. Do right. they have to replace it also? Uh, right. So, at that. You, you know, I love technology. Look, look, look what it's done, right? I mean, I could go through the list. The car's gotten better. We don't do valve jobs anymore. We hardly do tune-ups. We don't do points. The cars don't have points anymore. There's no carburetors. There's no adjustments. You know, right. uh, I'm getting ready to go to a. I'll, I'll tell you a side story, uh, Carl. If you got two seconds, um, sure. I, 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 I was, I'm going to go to a seminar. There's a seminar coming up in Paramus, New Jersey, on ignition for technicians, um, put on by a company called Parts Authority. And I signed up for the class, and I don't have an account with Parts Authority, so they said, "Hey, you got to get an account with us." And it's fine, whatever. Uh, you know, I'll do whatever you want to do. And the guy said, "Well, you can start buying parts from us." And I said, "Well, you know, I've already got a couple of parts houses, and I don't know how many more I really need." And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, start thinking about what's left that we can really legitimately, honestly replace on the car on a regular basis. What is it? What do most shops sell? Belts, maybe. Hoses, yeah, yeah okay. Brakes, brakes are always going to. Brakes are always going to be Hoses. a big seller. Tires, mm-hmm. wiper blades, air filter, cabin filter, or trans service oil change. You do spark plugs at a hundred thousand. You should be doing a fuel injection cleaning every eighteen months to two years. Throttle body cleaning, okay. uh, occasionally an AC service, but cars today are all maintenance. We're not we're not doing cylinder heads and engines, and not at not if the car's been taken care of, not if it's had proper maintenance. So you know, technology has made it better, but I think it's also lulled us, and this is my point, into a false sense of security. And I think you're very wise asking the question at 103,000 miles. You know, when do I change the belt? You know, if I was going to be sarcastic, I could say, well, you could change it now or you could wait till you're on the side of the road and change it there. But then that becomes a problem. Um, well, I just didn't want to change it and prematurely. Right. Uh, now, I don't think you're premature. I think you're right. I think you're you're probably a little on the early side, but I think early is better than later. And right. you're, you're 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 right in the groove there. Uh, I would. And what about the hoses? Well, you know, same same argument, right? Hoses are yeah. six, seven years old. Uh, which 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 engine is in this, Carl? This is the 3.0 liter V6. Okay, so uh, you know hoses. How about a thermostat? Have you ever, you know, if we're going to talk maintenance, have you put a thermostat in this car yet? All right. Well, there's there's two belts, and I'm thinking this small belt is for the water pump. Uh yeah. This, this is the three liter, a Mercury Mariner. I'm trying to picture a Mariner. It's the Escape, really. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 So right, so you have 
You have okay. So okay. Uh, my engineer's head is going to explode in about two seconds. Okay. You have the belt that sits on the passenger or the driver's side of the engine that has no adjustment. It is Correct. a it is a non-adjustable belt. Right. Right. How do you get that on and off? Well, there's a special tool involved for that. Okay. All right. And, okay. you know, that belt never, ever, 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 ever goes bad until it does. Right. Okay. So, yeah. you know, change that belt, change the belt on the other side, put an upper and lower radiator hose in it, pop a thermostat into this thing, put a radiator cap on it. Absolutely. Time for some maintenance. Okay. And drive it another 100,000 miles. That's and that's ex- And that's exactly what I did to Tom Ray's 2010 Escape. And his daughter's, I don't know where she is with it now. She's somewhere in upstate New York or now she's home. But it went up to upstate New York. It went through college. It went, Tom's going to jump on the mic here. Where is that car now? Uh, no, she lives at home and she drives back and forth to work every day with it. And she's planning on going back to Canton for a continuing education. She's a vet tech. So. And, and, and how many miles are on that now? Um, 191. Yeah, so it's got almost 200,000 wow. miles on it. So maintenance does pay okay. off. Um, yeah. ma- maintenance does pay off, So, but by all means. And obviously, you know, good quality parts. Um, now, here's a case where using a stant thermostat and a stant radiator cap, absolutely, positively. Um, okay. A stant superstat would be wonderful in a car like this. That's what I put in Tom's, and it works well. Get out to stant.com for more information. Very good. All right, Carl. Okay. All right. Thank you for your advice. You're very welcome. Thanks for being a long-term listener to The Car Doctor. 855-560-9900. Let's pull over, take the pause, and when we come back, we'll go talk to Maury with some questions about Honda CVT transmissions and uh, towing. Um, I'm sure this will be a good time. Stay put. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. We'll be right back. Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number, 855-560-9900. Call, leave a message if we're not on the air, and we'll call you back. Let's go over and talk to Maury, who's waiting there very patiently in Glenburn, Maine. Some questions about a Honda CVT Trans and other stuff. Maury, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you very much. I have two questions for you. First, I'm planning a long trip. Okay. And the oil, the computer will tell me when I need to change the oil, and I'm concerned with going... About 10,000 miles. Should I change the oil before that? Yes. I'm running Mobile One 020 and the Mobile One filter. Yeah. And, you know, well, my first question is then, what's the Mobile One filter rated for? What does Mobile One say it's rated at? I I don't know the answer to that. The oil is rated at, it's the extended performance oil rated at uh, 15,000 miles. Okay. So the oil will make it. The question is, will the filter? And, you know, if the, yeah. if the filter's only good for five, then it doesn't matter what the oil does. And that's that's always yeah, been my argument. one filter. Right. That's always been my argument for it. Right. Now, it just doesn't necessarily mean it's an extended range filter. You, you know. Um, I see. You know, I used, to go, I used to go into the local radio shack here. It doesn't mean it was corporate headquarters, uh, you know, just because just it's got the name over the door. So it's just a fair question to ask them, hey, what's the – I'm sure it's, it's an extended range filter. I would hope it's an extended range filter. But if it's not, let's find out before we do any damage. All right. If if they're going to rate the, if it, well, if they're going to rate the filter ten thousand miles, it says on the box what. 
I just say it says that it has a higher capacity uh, than the other filters. Okay. Higher capacity of what? Endurance or higher capacity to filter more particulate? Um, you know, so what do they mean? And keep in mind, what you're reading on the box is marketing. I want to know down and dirty what the answer is. Will it work or won't it? Will it go? If the oil's okay. rated for 15000 will it go 15000 Now, if okay. you... It, 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 on, on that on that point, if you have a 15,000-mile filter and 15,000-mile oil, where would I change it? Is that Because if that's going to be your next question... I don't know. I'd probably still change it yes, at ten because yeah, I'm not I'm not one to let it go the distance. And after five thousand miles, I would be checking the oil every thousand just to see what sort of issues I might be having with burnoff and what the condition of the oil is and what does it look like. Okay, all right. Thank you on that one. All right. Um, the other question I have is the dealer tells me do not tow with this 2015 Honda Civic LX. It's got a 1.8 liter engine with a CVT, but the owner's manual says I can tow 1,000 pounds. Could I tow a four or 500-pound trailer, meaning a very light 12-foot aluminum boat in a small trailer? Would I, that cause any problems? I don't see why not. If, if, if the manufacturer is telling you, you know, the vehicle's rated for it, then I'm not sure why the dealer is saying it's not. And that's a question for the dealer. They're the ones saying you can't do it. You know, what's on what grounds are they saying you can't do it? Here it is in the book. The book says I can do it. Why do you guys say no? Right? Okay, thank you. You know, yeah. um, I would I would take that up with them. But if if one says you can and the other says you can't, you gotta find out. I would tend to I would tend to question the dealer because perhaps they're misinformed or they're just not understanding the question better. Sure. Yeah, it's not like I'm gonna tow a camper trailer. Right. I'm simply going to tow a small, lightweight boat, you know, that weighs 120 pounds and whatever the trailer weighs. Right. So, you know, like I said, if the manufacturer's saying, yeah, go ahead, and the dealer's saying no, all right. I would tend to believe the manufacturer, they designed and built the car. So I would I would I have to give... They would put... Right. They wouldn't put yeah, it in the book if you could. They would put that in the warrant. Right. Yeah, they wouldn't put it in the book. Right. They wouldn't put it in the book. We, we live in a litigious society. People love to sue people. So um, I'm holding the I'm holding the filter box in my hand, and it just says three times capacity. It does not say anything about mileage on it. It's just right. high capacity, three times more capacity. Right. So what's you know if it's three oh, times you, I will check. if and 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 think of it like this. Let's say three times more capacity. Maybe what they're saying is three times the mileage. Three times the mileage from what? From a three thousand mile filter, a five thousand mile filter, a ten thousand mile filter. <laughs> right. You know, marketing. I guess I'm getting the feeling that maybe I should change the oil. No, I should not run that 10,000 miles. It's only got 3.9 quarts in it. Well, and then there's that. And and then I would read the owner's manual and see if it says anything about checking the oil after so many miles because their concern is about burnoff, which does occur in cars. I'll never forget, and I haven't seen that guy actually. I haven't seen this guy in about two and a half years now since I told him about his Audi. He didn't like my answer. But... Um, uh, we had an Audi to change the oil on, and I thought it was kind of ridiculous that they wanted 15,000-mile oil change interval. And he was going to 10. We checked it at we checked it before we changed it. The oil had 9,000 miles on it. It was down two and a half, almost three quarts. And, you know, he, he, wow. he was asking me why, and I showed him in the owner's manual because I knew where it was. I think it's page 49 of a 
2010 Audi A6. Sort of rings a bell. Um, after 4,000 miles, Audi wants you to check the oil once a month. And I'm sure everybody is pulling into the gas station saying, hey, can you fill it up and check the oil? Because we live in a society that's more concerned about their cars than getting a cup of coffee from Starbucks. So, you know, it, um, it's, it's an issue. I, I, think you're, I think you're on the right track, Maury. I really do. I don't think there's a free lunch. I've been fixing cars a long time. I'm, I tend to be more cautious than not. And I've learned that that ounce of prevention goes a long way to preventing a problem. All right, sir. Thank you very much, sir. You're very welcome, Maury. Good luck to you. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini, The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini, The Car Doctor. Let's do a quick piece of email. Um, you know, this came, we were talking about this last week, and I thought I would point this out. We're talking about engine oil and what it does and what it's all about, and it's so so beyond just lubrication. Now, we were talking about this piece of tech information. It came to us from Matt Erickson. He's the technical product manager in the passenger car side uh, from the folks over at Amsoil. And Amsoil's message is all about engine protection. And it's it's providing engine protection against horsepower loss and wear. And and their thought process is it's not just lubrication. It's everything oil does within the engine. Matt wrote an article about the different things that oil does. Variable valve time and frequency is another complexity for motor oils to overcome. And in this article, he talks about Toyota's VVT, or variable valve timing system, how it varies the valve motion by adjusting the timing of the camshaft in relation to engine speed. Oil pressure actuated devices, commonly called cam phasers, are used to control that motion. Look at what they're doing. They took a simple thing as a camshaft, as simple as that is, and made it so much more complex by now giving the computer the ability to adjust position in relation to the crankshaft and change the way the engine runs. Look at the demands and the stress that oil is put under, and you have to stop and say to yourself that oil is not just oil anymore. This comes to us from the folks over at Amsoil. I'm sure you get out to their website, amsoil.com, or whatever it might be, and uh, you'll find more there. But variable valve timing is a big deal, and um, the folks at Amsoil are recognizing that. Kudos to them. Let's get over and talk to Mike, East Hartford, Connecticut. Some questions about an 89 GMC. Mike, I got two minutes. What's going on? Yes, sir. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What do you got? I got an old uh, but good shape, 89 GMC, 1500. Stick, five on the floor. Right. And uh, uh, two-wheel drive. Right. And uh, they've been known to have bad uh, uh, transmission. So what happened was... uh, hired a transmission mechanic, and we did it. We took the uh, the old uh, the clutch. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, the clutch was no good. Right. So uh, dropped the training, took the old clutch out, put the new clutch in, and brand new clutch. And you know this guy's an expert, so. Yeah, I'm a mechanic too, but transmission is not my forte. This, so. this sounds like anyway, a, this sounds like an ever since quickly. I'm sorry. This sounds like something you're going to say here ever since. Go ahead, quick, because we're going to run out of time. All right. So the um, and then we put the clutch slave cylinder on the outside of it. Right. 
And then inside, if you took the case out, the case um, inside the case, there's a pivot. A, um, a ball for the fork. Exactly. Right. So that broke. Okay. And put the new trans, put the new ch- clutch in there, and it won't go. Okay. Well, did you did you replace that Where pivot? Where do I get that that clutch slave? I mean the uh, the pivot ball that rides on the the ball clutch slave cylinder. I would think any GM dealer is still going to make it. I'm sure there's sources for drivetrain around the country. I can't think that's the hardest thing in the world. Why don't you just Google 89 GMC two speed and you'll find it from there. I got to go. The clock's against me. Good mechanics aren't expensive. The prices see you.